You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, sometimes before a difficult conversation, you have to give a little warning. And today I have to give you a warning for the difficult conversations that we're going to have. This may not be suitable for all audiences. Well, this disclaimer comes uh, from the Hebrew Bible. Some of the books of the Hebrew Bible, you had to be a 30-year-old man before you could read. And we're looking at one of those passages today. But I'm also going to be talking about stuff, especially on the front end, that's very pointed. It's very difficult. It's going to be hard for you to hear. So I just, I want you to be prepared for the difficult conversations we're about to have. You know, sometimes life is hopeless. It's overwhelming. And sometimes these things that happen to us come as something of a one-off experience. You know, we get a bad grade. We have car trouble. We have an illness. Sometimes they're just one-time thing that happens. Other times they're persistent. They just stay with us. You know, like car troubles or bad grades or an illness. We just can't get away from them. And it's easy to get stuck in the moment that we're in when that illness comes or when the car trouble hits us. And we just want some sense of stability. All of you have been no strangers to loss, no strangers to difficulties, no strangers to those moments in your life where you just crave some stability, some ground to stand on, some place just to breathe. Can we breathe? May, the month of May, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I bring that up because it's quite important. I heard just this last week a story of something that happened one month ago. This was on the news. Brian Hunstable heard the words that no parent ever wants to hear. So prepare yourself for this. His eight-year-old daughter came down the stairs and she said, Hunter has hung himself. His soon-to-be 13-year-old son, Hunter, four days away from his 13th birthday, hung himself. This happened just last month. And Brian, a parent not prone to hold this grief in, wanted to share it with us, share it with the world to let us know that suicide is a real deal, even among kids that you do not see anything at all. No signs whatsoever. In fact, the number two leading killer between the ages of 10 and 34 is is suicide. And I don't have to tell you what a year this last year has been to where that certainly has ratcheted up. In fact, in New Mexico, we took over the lead in the United States of the per suicides per year. These are heavy things. It's heavy to deal with. And whenever you face something like this, you need to know the signs. And so if you'll forgive me on the front end, I just want you to be paying attention because you may see this in yourself. Intense anger and rage. Being more irritable. Finding yourself withdrawn from other people. Maybe not enjoying the things that you love like you once did. Or having friends just disappear. You've lost them. 
And I want to speak to all of us so that we're very much aware that, that we pay attention to those that are around us, to look for signs and to create a safe space for people to talk. Parents, this is really important, to not instruct your kids in how they ought to feel, not try to explain things away, but truly listen. These things can be overwhelming. They can get us stuck in a moment and trap us there. So, no judgment. Space to express. And I'll even give to you, because I feel like I have to. The 800 hotline. There's a number of them, but 1-800-273-TALK. If you call 1-800-273-TALK, you'll have someone that you can visit with, someone that can help you get out of that stuck moment. Or, if you just want to send a text, the word TALK, 741-741, text TALK to that number, that six-digit number, 741-741. And I say that because here in New Mexico, we're a time and a half the national average for suicide, and we just have to pay attention to these things. Now, that's a pretty heavy way to start, right? We've all faced catastrophes. We've all been in moments where we can get stuck. And so what I want to do today is not dwell on the depression, not dwell on the sadness, but give us a message of hope, a hope through the despair, a hope that's through the denial when we tend to explain things away, when we tend to brush them aside and dismiss them. Because in these times of catastrophe, sometimes all we want to do is just run away, or we feel panic. We just want to withdraw from other folks. We get set in with anger or with gloom and a cloud covers over us and over these last 14 months you have seen this in 4d even people who have no issues whatsoever with mental health have felt this the sense of loss the sense of a violation of confusion and wondering what to do and we could we could take the road of despair or we just think of everything that's negative all the loss, all the things that we've been cheated out of. We could take that on. We could deny it. Well, I don't have any problems. Who, me? I'm great. I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. There's no issue here. No problems whatsoever. No COVID, no racism, no problem in my own life. And we deny things. And I think we have to enter into the tragedy, enter into the difficulty, to find a way out, a way out of despair, a way out of denial. We turn to a story that I am calling on for hope. It is a story that is one of my favorites in Scripture. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37, and, and today I'm going to read you this story in little bits and pieces, okay? So I'm just going to read the first three verses of Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, this is Ezekiel, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me all around in them. And there were very many lying in the valley, and the bones were very dry. And he said to me, mortal, can these bones live? Now, I, I love this story of God grabbing Ezekiel by the collar dragging him down and journeying into this valley and asking him this bizarre question. 
forcing him to walk all around in the midst of the bones, to walk among them, to see them as far as the eye can see, and to ask this question, can these bones live? I mean, that is a very obvious question. No, they can't. These bones can't live. But it's the kind of question, if you're Ezekiel, you just kind of look around and wonder, okay, do I answer this? It's kind of like in the classroom when the obvious is so plain, you don't want to say it. You want to wait for somebody else to say it out loud, right? Well, this answer that Ezekiel gives is perfect. You know, he gives an answer where he communicates truth, but he dodges actually answering the question, or so it seems. Look in verse 4. I answered, this is verse 3. He said to me, mortal can these bones live? I answered, O Yahweh God, you know. You alone know. That's the perfect answer. Can they live? Of course they cannot live. But you're the one who knows, O God. Now, this seems like a trick. It seems like a setup. But Ezekiel gives a perfect answer. And as, as, a, as a, someone that loves to ask questions, I love that God asked this bizarre question, but it gets worse. Because he pairs up a bizarre question with a bizarre command. He tells Ezekiel to preach to these bones. To go out and preach a sermon to these bones. Now, I've heard about a lot of church plants. A lot of interesting ideas, you know, locations far and wide. But a cemetery is not one that I've ever heard. But that's exactly what he asks him to do. Let's look in verse 4 and following. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I'll lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now Ezekiel stands down in this valley. He has been commanded to preach He's already been asked a trick question, but he's been commanded to preach to these bones, and he has a choice. Now, I, I really relate to the craziness of this scene as a preacher, of being asked by God to say certain words. And in some ways, this scene that Ezekiel is in is much like every Sunday morning for me. Now, now I don't mean that you're dry bones. But to get up in front of a group of people and in that silence to say, in my mind, is this what God once said? Is what I think I heard God sharing over the last several weeks what God once communicated? Is it what people need to hear? Is it what they want to hear? And Ezekiel has a choice. He's probably looking around saying, is anybody watching me? I hope none of my friends are here. And in that silence, he musters up the courage, and in verse 7, he begins to preach this message. He preaches this message. Verse 7, I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones come together, bone to bone, and I looked, 
and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now Isaiah, in the middle of this valley, all alone, I am hoping it's in the daylight, doesn't say, he is there and hears the rattling of bones coming together, pulling into skeletons. He sees the white bones disappear to tendons and blood and flesh and skin. And he's sitting there with goosebumps on his own skin with all of these bodies, these lifeless bodies everywhere, like wax figures laying across the floor. And the clanking and the rattling of bones gives way to utter silence with these bodies everywhere. And that's when God says, hey, can you preach another sermon? I've got another sermon for you to preach. This is a second service, but it's going to be a brand new sermon. And this time, it's to prophesy to the breath. Look in verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come forth from the four winds, O breath, breathe upon these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came to, the, came to them and they lived and they stood up on their feet, a vast multitude. You know, in this moment, this is overwhelming. If I hadn't run, if I was Ezekiel at this point, this would probably be the moment. Because to see these bodies collectively gasp and stand to their feet had to be quite a scene. You hear this, this word, this ruah word from God that means wind and breath. And before Ezekiel is commanding bones, and now he's commanding the four winds to breathe into these bones, to stand up before him. This amazing, amazing story. Well, it's more than a visual. It's more than an overwhelming scene. It's said for some reason. It's not just something that he has experienced that's just for Ezekiel. He has he's been commanded to share this message with others. Ezekiel knew very much what it was like to be in a hopeless circumstance. He was an out-of-work priest. This is 600 years before Jesus. He had seen the southern kingdom fall. He'd seen the temple that had God's own name leveled. He had seen in his lifetime the final Davidic king hauled off and put in prison in 2 Kings 25. This was a time of hopelessness, a time of despair. And he knew what it was like to have those promises made to Abram, to have a homeland, the promises made to Solomon for God's steadfast love to always be there, and now God's people had given up. Because when you're out of work, when your country and your place of worship and all of your hope had been taken away from you, it's really easy to give up on God and walk away from God. Because what has God done for you? They had traded in being a dominant nation for being servants. And it's only normal that they would give up on God and begin to doubt this God. We live in these tombs too. We live in tombs of our minds, tombs that are constructed of our emotions. Sometimes they're physical limitations. 
or vices that have a hold of us, where we are down in this tomb. In fact, if you look at the Bible, the many themes of Scripture, a lot of the Bible is about displacement. Think about it. Being separated from God. In the Garden of Eden, they were separated from Eden, separated from the presence of God. When they were slaves in Egypt, they were then wandering nomads in the wilderness. They were then exiled from their homeland. These people were no strangers to what it was to feel like God had abandoned them and left them. We know what it's like to have these times when life doesn't fit together, when we feel disconnected, when our bones are separated from one another. To come to God with questions about our marriage, about our financial situation, about the boss or the co-worker that we just can't seem to get along with. So what do we gain from this story? What does a story like this speak to us in the midst of our hopelessness? Two things that I want you to hear very clearly. The first one is that it doesn't run away at all from the despair of the situation. God seems to have left people. It's a time of hopelessness. We can relate to this. It's a time when our lives don't fit together in the way that we want. And this question that I said might be stupid or obvious, can these bones live? This is a question that Ezekiel needed to wrestle with because God was stating that to own up to the fact that sometimes things in life are not good. And to be okay to say that. To be able to say, yeah, right now, this, this, and this is not going as I wish. These are the bones of my life right now. And to not minimize it, to not run away, with, run away from it, but to acknowledge that this is not going well. We need that experience in our own lives to recognize that things are not going as we plan. Humans make a mess of our lives. And we have to get to the point where we say, you know, if anything good is going to happen next, it's going to be because of God. It's not because of me. We have to own the reality of our own despair and our own hopelessness to lean upon God for what's next. Well, the second thing is something that gets repeated over and over again in this story. And you might have missed it because it's said differently. In verse 3, in verse 6, in verse 13, that you will know that I am Yahweh. Verse 3, verse 6, verse 13 and 14, over and over again comes this refrain of knowing that Yahweh is God. In verse 14, God says, I will make these bones live. You tell them about these bones so that you will know that I have spoken and I will act, that I'm the one going to pull you out of this. We tend to forget about God. We tend to forget the knowledge of God that we should have. Just like the people of Israel in this story, we've long given up on God before our captivity. We've confined ourselves to those tombs that I've mentioned, and we've walked away from God long before God gave us over to the captivity of the tombs of the things that we do. We've fought these voices inside of our head and have teeter-tottered between seeking God and not seeking God, moving back and forth, and we need this reminder to know that God is God. 
And in a story like this, in a story of, of hope coming from a hopeless situation, an ancient Near Eastern battlefield where people were left and the bones were left to decay in the sun and with the birds and with looters, to come into this hopelessness and say, there is life coming from God. There is breath that is to be breathed into our bodies. We need that reminder. And I want to invite you back. I want to invite you back. Invite you back to breathe. Invite you back to church. You know, at first, it might seem strange to say invite you back because during COVID, we've done quite well. We've continued to grow. We've continued to, to maintain and improve. But if I could speak to the people in the screens, we want to invite you back. We want to invite you back. We know that you've been able to be connected online. And we've, been, we've all been in those places where we've been able to engage, and it's helped to know the songs that we're singing and, more importantly, to whom we're singing, the scriptures that we read. The reason I invite you back is because we want you. This is not some desperation where we need people in the pews. It's not some sense of, well, we need money in the, in the budget. No. This is the next level of your discipleship, of coming out of what's confined you and coming into relationship with others. You see, when you're not here, what we don't have is, is you. We don't have your smile. We don't have your prayer request shared. We are not able to journey through life with you. If I could, I want to speak to the people in the chairs here. I want to invite you back. It's easy for us to remain in fear, to remain afraid, to remain separated, to not fully engage in the service that God has for us to do. And I want to invite you back into the fullness of our mission of following Jesus, specifically in that part of our mission of going, going where Jesus goes. And here's what I'm talking about, and this is for all of us. I want you to think about your life, the bones of your life right now, those people that are around you, the people that you haven't seen on your street, the people that you haven't had a phone call with in a long time. Think about those folks and what they have gone through. Maybe it's your neighbor who lost their spouse. Maybe it's the single guy that's on your apartment hall who has no family in New Mexico and has been on their own. Or what if it's that young family who's been trying to get their kids to school, trying to maintain work, how is it that you could notice the bones that are in the world around you and breathe life into other people? Not, not waiting for someone to reach out to you, but you being that one to reach out and speak that word to make a difference in their life. You see, this is where this challenge takes us deeper in our discipleship, to get us out of our isolation and our aloneness. Because if we find ourselves sad and isolated and alone, it's usually because we're focused in on a much smaller world. What's as close to us that we just want to be by ourselves and be alone. And this is a time to take initiative, to reach out to that neighbor, to that single person, to that small family, and show them the love of God. 
because we will find life as we go, as we breathe in deeply of the Holy Spirit, being Jesus on the job, on our block, with our boss or that cantankerous co-worker that we have. We have the chance to be Jesus and to go where Jesus leads. I probably don't need to tell you what today is. You don't need me to remind you that today is Pentecost. 50th day after the Passover. What's significant about Pentecost for Christians is that it was the moment when the Spirit of God descended like fire upon the disciples, breathing into them new life. Because up to that point, they had been trying to make sense of how do we deal with the bones of this new reality of Jesus dying? Bones that we can't find. A tomb that's empty, but where is Jesus? They were trying to make sense of where Jesus had gone. And here in this moment, on Pentecost, the Spirit falls. The fire is lit. The bones begin to move. And they see that Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is in us, giving us life, calling us to be God's people, to breathe life, to prophesy to the bones around us that we can find life. And that the moments that we sometimes get stuck in, when we get the word we don't want to hear, we press out of those moments into God's larger story, a story that's often one about displacement and feeling cut off when our life seems to be hanging by a thread, but where we are drawn into the very life of Jesus. A time when the prophecy of Joel comes to pass, when God's Spirit would be poured out on all people. Can we breathe in deeply right now? Take a deep breath. And listen to the God who causes us to ask crazy questions in bone-filled valleys and to see the new life that only He can offer. God, we ask You to fill us with Your Spirit. We ask You to make us to live again, that we can no longer be afraid, that we will no longer be alone, but that You will take our bones and wrap them up in your Holy Spirit, giving us flesh for eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.